Good morning. Love worshiping with y'all. Thank you, worship team. What relationship are you finding to be the most difficult in your life right now? Don't answer out loud, please. They might be sitting right next to you. But I just want you to get this in your head. What relationship are you finding to be the most difficult in your life right now? I want you to keep that relationship and all of the uncertainty and chaos swirling around that relationship. I want you to keep in your mind as we look at Proverbs today. Because today we're going to look at some wisdom in Proverbs 10 through 30. And this will be our last Sunday in this section of Proverbs. Um, But we're going to look today at some wisdom for relationships. And and I struggled with the title for this. So here was title number one. If we can throw that up. Yep, wisdom for difficult people. And I brought this to the elders. And even as I was saying it, I'm like, that title doesn't seem right. And they're like, yeah, because it makes it about other people and not owning your own stuff. That's why it doesn't seem right to you. It's like, oh yeah, that's, that's true. Okay, so they're like, why don't you change it to wisdom for you go to the next difficult relationships? Uh, and I'm like, okay, that, that works, right? So everyone has a part to play, something to own. Um, but I, as I thought about it, I was like, no, you know what? It's still not quite right because it's not if, but when relationships become difficult. Any relationship that's, that's a true relationship worth having, will inevitably uh, face tension and difficulty in it. So, change to this, Wisdom for Relational Difficulty. Okay, there's the title, there, there's the process. Um, so, how can we think, how can we act, how can we react in a Christ-like manner, not if, but when things get difficult in relationships? So, here's the wisdom we see in Proverbs 10 through 30. The first big thing is that we should overlook offenses whenever possible. Overlook offenses. Proverbs 19.11 says, a person's insight gives him patience, and his virtue is to overlook an offense. So if you, if you read this verse backwards, a, a person's ability to overlook an offense is dependent on a person's level of patience. Or some translations say, slow to anger there for patience. And a person's level of patience or or slowness to become angry with a situation is dependent on a person's insight into a given situation. So overlooking offenses doesn't begin with pretending something didn't happen. It begins with gaining further insight into that situation, which requires investigation. So you you ask questions like this, does this this line up with their normal way of acting and reacting? And if it's not, you do some digging around and and some asking of questions to to gain some more insight. Um, I love the the, uh, addiction recovery community um, uses this acronym, HALT, H-A-L-T, hungry, angry, lonely, tired. Perhaps they were just very hungry at the time. Perhaps they were very angry about something, lonely, tired, one of those Things, and they were just a little off because of that. We can, we can give grace to one another in those situations. Or maybe they're going through something really hard. They're going through some stuff that, that you know nothing about that has nothing to do with you, but it just kind of spilled out on you. Um, so for example, uh, my pastor, when I was a youth pastor, uh, told me this story once about how a guy came in on a Thursday morning, and they had, they had Wednesday night um, kids programs at their church, and this 
this dad comes in the next morning and just chews the pastor out for something. So I can't even remember what it was, but something about like a snack, like something just re, like didn't even have much grounds for complaining about, but they're just going off and wouldn't even let my pastor get a word in edgewise. And he's like, what is going on? And the guy doesn't, doesn't even give him a chance to respond and storms out. And he's, and my pastor's sitting there just, just confused, a, a bit upset, just like, what? What was that about? And he decided to just let it be, to pray for the guy and see what happened. The next day, this guy comes back into his office in tears and, and apologizes for going off on him and says, you know what? That had nothing to do with anything on Wednesday night. Um, my marriage is crumbling and on the brink of divorce, and I don't know what to do. You see, often there are things going on that we don't, know and we don't understand, so we need to investigate. We need to gain insight into situations. Did some baggage from their past affect the way they acted? Are, are there other people, are there other pressures that you know nothing about? If you investigate to gain insight into a situation, you often can go from offended and mad to understanding and compassionate almost instantly in some situations. A lot of times, it's just that simply that hurt people hurt people as well. And instead of confronting, what they need is just someone to bear their burdens, to have a shoulder to cry on. I remember one day, um, Josh, our, our youth and worship pastor, I, I responded quickly and sharply to him on something. And um, he would have been justified to come back to me later that day or the next day and, um, and go, hey, you know, dude, that, that hurt. Um, that, that wasn't okay. But instead, he came to me, and he's like, hey, you seemed on edge yesterday. Is everything okay? See, he, he sought to overlook my offense by gaining insight. He was patient. He was slow to anger. And Josh, even when I asked him permission to share this story, he said, yeah, it's, it's going instead of what's wrong with you, instead of saying what's wrong with you, you have this attitude of going, hey, what's wrong? That's, that's what we're talking about here. So what does this mean, though, to overlook an offense? Well, author Ken Sandy, the author of The Peacemaker, which our men's ministry is going through right now in one of our women's Bible studies, points out that overlooking an offense is actually a form of forgiveness. So I've mentioned these before, but I need to hear these every day. I have these ready to go on my phone, and I think you should as well, but here is what Ken Sandy defines as the four promises of forgiveness found in Scripture that, that we should be ready to extend to people. When we say, I forgive you, this is what this looks like lived out. You're promising this. Number one, you're promising that you're not going to dwell on this incident. It doesn't mean you won't think about it. It means when you start thinking about it, you cut that off and you don't let your mind just be overtaken by it. Uh, Corey Tenboom who is famous for helping hide Jews from, from the Nazis during World War II, um, said that her co-worker asked her one time, was like, hey, do you remember this one time I offended you? And she said this, I love this. She says, I distinctly remember forgetting. Right? It isn't that she forgot, right? Forgive and forget often is impossible. Okay? Throw that out. Okay? You're not forgetting Instead, 
you're not dwelling on it. And you're, number two, you're not going to bring this incident up again and use it against them. So she distinctly remembered forgetting about it. I will not bring this incident up again and use it against you, number two. You can't overlook it, but keep it in your back pocket just in case. Wives and husbands, that would be a good one to keep in mind. Number three, I will not talk to others about this incident. So when you overlook an offense, it doesn't mean you're leaving it be with, with the offender, but then telling a bunch of people about it. Did you hear what they did to me? No. That's not forgiveness. Number four, I will not allow this incident to stand between us or hinder our personal relationship. If you overlook an offense, you can't avoid them and be cold to them now. You can't treat them like, you, you, sorry, you, you have to treat them now like nothing ever happened if you're actually going to overlook the offense. If you can't commit to walking in forgiveness with these four promises, it means you can't overlook the, the offense. You're only fooling yourself, and that's okay. That, that's not always the answer to overlook the offense. But let's say you do some investigating, and it's still hard to tell if you should overlook the offense. You're like, I'm not really sure. Um, well, what's this verse say? It says it's, it's a virtue, or other versions say it's a glory to overlook an offense. So if you can, it's always better to overlook. So if you're unsure, try overlooking it and living out the four promises of forgiveness for a week. And if you can't do that for a week, then you should probably go to your brother and sister. But if you can do that successfully, praise God, you've got your answer. You were able to overlook that offense. Also, let me say too that it, it, is, it is not wise to overlook offenses that cause serious harm to you others, or to God. So just as examples, if something is causing you serious harm, such as abuse, you should not overlook that offense. If you see someone hurting someone else, if you see someone at worst murder someone else, you shouldn't overlook that offense, right? If you see, if you hear someone giving false teaching, teaching that, uh, that's against God's word, you should not overlook that offense. That's serious harm to God. So, let's say you determine that you cannot overlook this offense. How do you go about dealing with it then? Well, let's look at a couple more pieces of wisdom for relational difficulty. And these two have to really be held in balance. So, um, I want to just take one at a time. And, and, and the first one is this. Don't flatter. Be honest. But the second one, which we'll get to in a little bit, is, is to speak gently. And these both have to be held in tension. So, don't flatter, be honest. Proverbs 28, 23 says, one who rebukes a person will later find more favor than one who flatters with his tongue. This word flatter in the original language, the Hebrew, means to be smooth, slippery, or deceitful. It's, it's when you act like everything's just fine when it's not. It's a form of lying. You're lying to them and you're lying to yourself. This verse here, Proverbs 28, 23, is saying that when you flatter, sure, you kept the peace today, but later, in the long run, you didn't actually make peace with that person. Peacekeepers flatter to avoid hard conversations. Peacemakers share honestly and embrace hard conversations. 
Proverbs 29.5 says it this way. A person who flatters his neighbor spreads a net for his feet. So flattery is encouragement flipped on its head. Encouragement is, is uplifting feedback based in the truth, whereas flattery is uplifting feedback based in untruth, based in lies. Flattering people is incredibly selfish because it's all about self-preservation. I, I fear them disliking me and being upset with me so much that I'll lie before telling them the truth about the situation. Church, flattery is one of the most tolerated and undetected sins in American church culture today. Don't fall into this. Why do we do it, though? Why do we flatter instead of being honest? I think at best, we want to protect them from being hurt, which is understandable. But what's wrong with that line of thinking? Well, you're actually delaying and compounding hurt that they'll feel later. If you were just honest to begin with, it would have stung less. When they find out, oh, wow, okay, wow. So there was something wrong for a long time and you were lying to me about it? I mean, you're just compounding that. I think another reason we flatter instead of being honest is we don't want to put our relationship in jeopardy. And again, that's understandable, but when they eventually find out that you've been blowing smoke, your relationship will be in, in even more jeopardy than it was initially. Another reason is we don't want to be viewed as judgmental or nitpicky or, or, or a stick in the mud. We'd rather be known as nice. Iowa nice or Midwest nice, though, is not always wise and biblical. See, nice is not a fruit of the Spirit. Kindness is. There's a difference. Kindness Love someone enough to tell them the truth. Nice cares more about people having a sense of security and a sense of peace, even when they maybe shouldn't have a sense of security and peace because there's, there's some bad stuff going on. There's some hard news to be shared. I remember when I was um, in youth and college ministry, I, I oversaw a college ministry and um, our worship leader, who was a college student, um, had someone singing on worship team, this gal. And, and a couple weeks go by of our, our ministry, and I'm, I'm listening. I'm like, I don't hear her at all. So I go up to him afterwards. I'm like, am, am I just not hearing right? But, or, or what's going on with this situation? I can't hear her. And he's like, well, she's not just not a good singer. She can't hold a pitch. And I'm like, and why is she up there? <laughs> and he's like, wow, I just didn't have the heart to tell her that. I'm like, well, if you don't, you're going to make the situation worse the longer you let this go on. So he'd been telling uh, the audio guy just to turn her off completely. And I'm like, dude, you can't, you can't, you, you have to end this now. I know it's going to be hard, but you're going to make it even harder the longer you let this go on. And he let it go on for a year. I Meaning... I'll take credit. I let it go on for a year as well. I knew this. And finally, this guy actually um, ended up stepping back from me and the worship leader. And the next worship leader continued. So I was like, I feel responsible. I am going, I'm going to deal with this. And I, ultimately, I felt like this because she was about to graduate. And she was 
she was so into leading worship that she, <laughs> that she was going to try to find a job leading worship. And I'm like, okay, okay, I have to deal with this. So I told her, I was like, I'm sorry, but you just can't sing very well. You have these other talents and gifts that I've seen in your life. You should run after those. And it just broke her heart, right? All because we flattered her and it ended up setting a net for our own feet, for my own feet, like this proverb says. Don't flatter. Be honest. Be willing to address the elephant in the room. Don't settle for superficial nice and deceitful flattery. But the second piece of wisdom for relational difficulty that has to be held in tension with this is to speak gently. Ephesians 4.15 puts it this way, speak the truth in love. Speak the truth, but do it in love. Speak gently. Proverbs 15.1 says, A gentle answer turns away anger, but a harsh word stirs up wrath. Proverbs 12.18, There is one who speaks rashly like a piercing sword, but the tongue of the wise brings healing. When you're being honest and you're being direct, do it gently in a way that brings healing. That's what these verses are saying. But what is gentle speech? What is healing speech? Well, verse 15, 1 here says it's not being harsh. So even when you're bringing honest concerns, they need to sense that you're not coming at them. Think through what you're going to say before you get there. Write it out, perhaps. Say it out loud so you can even hear how it comes across. Perhaps even have someone else listen to what you're going to say to them first so they can help you discern, is, is this gentle or harsh? Will they sense that you're out to get them or that you're there to help them? See, even when you share hard things with people, hard truths, you can do it in a way where they sense that you're really there to help them. And then 1218 here says, this means, gentle speech means it brings healing. It doesn't leave them wounded and bleeding out emotionally. Sure, it, it, it may sting simply because it's, it's hard truth, but they, they should know and sense your intent. Just healing, just helping them be more like Christ. Peter Cesaro, in his book, The Emotionally Healthy Leader, um, has some great suggestions for this. So I'm just going to read a little bit. So he's a, um, a pastor, was a pastor at a church called New Life. And he says, two simple but key concepts we have integrated into our New Life culture are puzzles and what we call complaints with recommendations. The latter involves using the phrase, I notice, and I prefer when making a complaint. Allow me to illustrate how they work. Being puzzled enables us to avoid assumptions and negative interpretations. For example, instead of saying, why did you leave such a mess in the office kitchen? We say, I'm puzzled about why you didn't clean up after yourself. Instead of saying, you should have returned my email sooner. We say, I'm puzzled about why you didn't respond to my email sooner. Making I'm puzzled statements forces us to acknowledge that we don't know why. It helps us to pause and to catch our heart before it jumps to judgment. I'm puzzled by this. We also teach our team and members of the church how to make a healthy complaint in our culture as the new family of Jesus. 
To unlearn negative generational patterns from their family of origin, we encourage people to use the phrase, I notice and I prefer as the formula for making a complaint. For example, when a supervisor, supervisor sends a PowerPoint presentation to the tech volunteer at the last minute, instead of stuffing frustration and annoyance, he might say, I noticed that you sent me your PowerPoint two hours before your presentation, and I would prefer it if you sent it one day ahead of time so I, I would have time to upload it into our computer system. See, instead of saying, you were late for our meeting, if you don't show up on time, I can't work with you in the future, we might say, I notice you arrived 20 minutes late for our leadership team meeting, and I prefer that you call when you're running late so I can adjust my schedule. It's a simple phrase, but saying I notice and I prefer effectively gives people training wheels to relate differently. I like this a lot. There's something like this, where we're not just jumping to judgment. I'm puzzled by why this happened. See, we're still being honest. We're not flattering. We're being direct. But we're giving them an opportunity to explain. We're saying, I noticed this, and I would prefer that. Now, tone and facial expression is also detrimental, right? This is where I often get into trouble, especially with my wife. You, you can sound harsh while using gentle words. So, so let me give you an example. Um, I'll use the example he just used. You could say, I'm, I'm puzzled about why you didn't clean up after yourself. Or you could go, hey, I'm really puzzled about why you didn't clean up after yourself. Same words. Very different meaning. You can also appear harsh while using gentle tone and gentle words, but you could have nonverbals that say very much the opposite. So if you're, if you're standing over them or you're getting up in their face or you're scrunching their face, you're doing something. I mean, you, you, you know what I'm talking about. And often we don't, we don't even know those things. We need other people to kind of help us learn. What are those things I do that, that maybe could be coming across a little too harsh? Now, one last note. Speaking gently will look slightly different with each person. Some people need extra care and softness, and some people don't want it and don't need as much softness. And, and part of being gentle is learning what this looks like to each person. So the two pieces of wisdom for relational difficulty to be held in balance is to don't flatter and to speak gently. Speak the truth in love. So your assignment this week is to figure out, and you probably already know this, okay? If you don't, ask someone who knows you well. They could probably tell you right away. But which one do you need more work on? Speaking the truth or doing it in love? Speaking gently because you're naturally a truth speaker then if that's you, let this phrase ring in your heart. Speak the truth in love. In love. But if you need some work on being honest and not flattering because you naturally just kind of want to keep the peace, then let this phrase ring in your heart and mind this week. Speak the truth in love. The truth. Direct. Assertive. Don't flatter and speak gently. Now the last big piece of wisdom we see in Proverbs 10 through 30 for difficult relationships is to avoid gossip. Avoid gossip. Proverbs 17, 9. Does whoever conceals an offense promotes love and whoever gossips about it separates friends. 
And Proverbs 26.20 says, Without wood, fire goes out. Without a gossip, conflict dies down. So 17.9 is saying that if you've overlooked an offense or forgiven them for it, then you have no business talking about that offense with other people. Remember promise number three of the four promises of forgiveness. I will not talk to others about this incident. If you do, you haven't truly forgiven them. And now you're the offender because you're gossiping. And then 26.20 makes it clear that avoiding gossip helps massively with conflict and tension. Gossip is often the fuel, the, the, the wood for conflict and tension. Don't, don't fuel it. Avoid it. Avoid gossip. The key here is understanding clearly what gossip is, though, and what gossip is not. And there's a lot of confusion about this. So I found a, a great article on Desiring God, and so it's called What is Gossip? If you just typed into Google, Desiring God, What is Gossip? It's by Matt Mitchell, Pastor Matt Mitchell. Um, he he does a really comprehensive job of breaking this out um, on what scripture says about it and defining it and all of that. So I want to quote him a few times here. He says, um, he defines gossip as this, it's bearing bad news behind someone's back out of a bad heart. Bearing bad news behind someone's back out of a bad heart. So let's just take that and break it apart. So bearing bad news, gossip must be bad news about someone. So um, it's not... Gossip, if I'm going, wow, did you hear that Greg won that amazing award? That's incredible. You know, that would be actually be really honoring to Greg if I did that and building up his character. So it has to be bad news. Secondly, gossip must, must be when that person isn't present, right? That one's pretty obvious. And then the last part of this definition is that gossip must have bad intent for that person or for the news that's being presented, and that one's really, really important. What's your intent? Um, Matt Mitchell in this article says, therefore the most important queries to have running in the back of your mind when you're talking about anybody who isn't present are the key questions of motivation and intent. Why am I saying this? Are these words loving toward the person I'm talking to? Are these words loving toward the person we're talking about? Question your motives. Why am I sharing this? Josh shared this acronym with us uh, more towards the beginning of Proverbs when talking about words, but wait, why am I talking? Why am I sharing this? Am Am I sharing it to help them or to put them down? Am I sharing it just to tell a juicy story? Am I sharing this so I look better in comparison to them? What's your intent? What's your heart? What's your motive? Now, this does mean that there is actually a time and a place for talking behind someone's back. And that might seem kind of startling, but Matt Mitchell does a good job explaining it. He says, not all conversation about others, even about their sins, comes from a bad heart. It is possible for us to talk truthfully about other people's bad news with a desire for their good and a hope for justice to be done. Jesus did so without ever slipping into gossip, and he will enable us to do it too. See, you and I need advice and perspective from other people all the time on how to handle other people. It can can help us 
point them to Jesus. Maybe I really, I'm having a hard time, but what's your intent? Am I going to someone else to try to get some help so I can really love on this person well, or am I just going to them to just share the latest? What's your intent? R. Kent Hughes, in the classic book, Disciplines of a Godly Man, said this. This is, this is a great cap to this. Gossip involves saying behind a person's back what you would never say to his or her face, whereas flattery means saying to a person's face what you would never say behind his or her back. I think that's well put on both of those subjects. So to end, John 1.14, the word, Jesus, became flesh and dwelt among us. And we observed his glory, the glory as the one and only son from the father, full of grace and truth. You want to boil all wisdom in Proverbs on relational difficulty down to one phrase? It's that, full of grace and full of truth. That was Jesus. That is Jesus, full of grace and full of truth. This is how Jesus lived his life on earth, full of grace, full of truth. This is how Jesus relates to us now, full of grace and full of truth. Jesus forgives us and and, and welcomes us back even when we screw things up. He's full of grace. But Jesus loves us too much to let us keep walking in sin so he convicts us of it. He's full of truth. So I want you to think back to that relationship that I had you think of at the beginning of this message that's rather difficult in your life right now. As long as Jesus is full of grace and full of truth, through the Holy Spirit's power, you can be full of grace and full of truth, even in that relationship. Do you believe that? Even in that relationship. You can be, by the Holy Spirit's strength and empowerment, full of grace, full of truth, just like our King Jesus. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your example. Thank you that you're so full of grace and so full of truth. Help us to extend that outwardly to others this week. Forgive us for the times, Father, where we've just wanted to keep the peace and flattered and, 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 and weren't honest like we should have been. And forgive us for the times, Lord, where we just steamrolled people and were rather harsh. Forgive us for the times where we just talked about people behind their back with terrible intent. Forgive us for the times where we didn't overlook an offense when we could have and should have, but rather made it a huge deal out of nothing. Jesus, thank you for your love. Thank you for your forgiveness for all of the areas we've fallen short in dealing with difficulty. And I know there's lots of difficulty in our lives. There's lots of relational difficulty. I know there's not a person in here that isn't dealing with it to some degree with someone else in their life. So I just pray that you would bring some incredible breakthrough and peace and that they would be willing to have those difficult conversations and to go about things in a way that would really honor you, Lord, even if it's difficult. We pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen.